Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today we are continuing kind of an unofficial series of interviewing a founder of an outdoor company that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, over the years, we've had plenty of, of guests who started companies, and that's the story. That's what we talk about. Maybe it's because I have this desire myself to start, be a part of a big change, innovative change in the outdoor industry. I've tried in the past. It's failed. Uh, but I'm so fascinated by these stories like Alyssa's here because it's so it's so amazing to me when people take what they love and turn it into their life and their career. Very impressed by people like Alyssa here. So we're going to hear exactly what led to the idea of Hip Camp. Uh, if you've never heard of Hip Camp, I'm a huge fan, and I've used it plenty of times. It's like Airbnb, but for camping. So people take their land and make it basically open to camping. If, if you've ever had this experience, this is exactly why she started this. You know, you go to a state park or a national park, and the campsite, you look online, and the campsites are just booked for months in advance. I did this recently, and I couldn't believe that every site within 100 miles of me of private or of public land was totally booked up. And what they did is like, man, there's millions and millions and millions of acres of beautiful private land. Why don't we get convince those landowners to open it up for camping? And that's exactly what Hip Camp did. And so to date, Hip Camp has unlocked access to more than 4 million acres of private land to help people enjoy more than 7 million nights of camping. I don't know about you, but camping changes lives. Camping has changed my life for the better. And I know there's millions of people out there that don't even realize how epic camping is. Maybe you take it for granted because we're adventurers on this show, but I, I love camping. In fact, I've set a goal this year to camp every week of the year. And I'm not quite on track for that, but I have camped at least three times as much as I did last year at this time of the year, which is really exciting. And I've used hit camp for some of those nights. So we're going to talk to Alyssa about this story. And it's so about so much more than camping. It's about land. It's about keeping nature natural. It's about helping small town economies. It, 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 there's so much in this, and it was so much deeper than I realized it was going to be. Very impressed by what they're doing at Hip Camp. And uh, Alyssa has graciously giving all listeners of the show 10% off your first booking at Hip Camp. You use the code ADVENTUREsports10, and you can get 10% off your first campsite booking at Hip Camp. I highly encourage you to utilize that. It's an amazing experience. It's so wonderful. You get to meet the landowner a lot of times. It's usually not very many sites, so it feels very private. Sometimes it's the only site on like a thousand acres. It's truly a unique experience, and what they're doing is amazing. So I'm very excited about what they're, they're uh, continuing to build and where they're going and They've been at this for 10 years, and I hope they're going to be at it for uh, 100 more because this is awesome. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, folks, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. Super excited about this conversation because... Hip Camp is like that gateway for people to get into the outdoors, that 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 barrier eliminator for a lot of people. So Alyssa Ravazio, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mason. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is, I always ask this first, where are you coming from today? And if that's not home, where's home for you? I am home. I live in a little coastal farm town just north of San Francisco, and I'm back home after many weeks of travel so feeling very happy to be here oh what's what's all the travel is that fun travel or is it like work travel which is can be fun but you know stressful too so i'm a new mom and i've learned that work travel without family is can be tough and so i've started combining the two so uh, most recently it was work and fun travel my husband and our baby and my nanny came with me we went to Oregon for a week to see our wonderful friends, Natalie and Kyle, but also did some offsite planning and um, a bunch of meetings. So I like combining it all. How old is your baby, if you don't mind me asking? He's almost two. When, when, are the, when is he turning two? Next month. Next month. All yeah. right. Mine too. Mine too. I have a two. Oh my gosh. We'll be two on July 23rd. Oh, oh my boy. gosh. We have kids. Yeah, pretty much. And I've got a four-year-old too, just turned four, but- um, gosh, I can't wait to ask about that, like how that's changed things. But I kind of want to take it back 
um, where and I'm sure a lot of interviews dive into this, like the founding story, which is a really cool story. But I want to know, like, you were looking for a spot to camp and it's is really difficult. But take us through that story. Tell us that story, but also tell us a little bit about what was your familiarity with camping at that point? Did you grow up in a household that was outdoorsy or you were into this kind of thing? Or did you kind of have to figure all that out on your own as an adult? I was really lucky. I was raised by a family that camped a lot. Um, My dad is a big fly fisherman. And so he wanted to camp along rivers. Uh, So we did a lot of river camping and fishing. Although my favorite activity was inner tubing down rapids. That was what I spent most of my summer doing. And I loved camping so much growing up. I mean, I would like come home and insist on sleeping in my sleeping bag with all the windows open. That was like, I'm not going to stop. We're going to keep this good stuff going. So it's just been something that I really love. I love the freedom. I love the kind of clarity it brings to like what matters and what doesn't. And of course, just the fun of it all. And so I was very familiar with camping um, as an invited guest, I would say. I was not familiar with camping as the person who actually has to find the campsite and make the reservations. And so the founding story actually came as a little known secret from the first camping trip I tried to plan on my own (laughs) and it was for my then boyfriend now husband Owen um he's Australian he'd started talking about going back to Australia we lived in California we live in California today and I wanted to show him how beautiful California's coast was and he didn't have to go back to Sydney to get like the beautiful beach and so I started um trying to find a campsite I could take him to and was just horrified at how difficult the process was and you know it felt like it was just like almost like they didn't want me to go I was like why is this so hard (laughs) like there's so many different websites information's everywhere everything had been booked out so many months in advance which I hadn't known I'd want to go camping then right so um, after many many hours of research finally chose a beautiful campground in Big Sur mainly because it didn't take reservations so I figured we could like gamble and show up early and hopefully get a spot. And we did, we actually got the last spot. There's a car who pulled in right behind us almost at the exact same moment who did it. And I've always thought about, man, what if we were just that next car? What would have happened? But we got the last spot. We drove up, um, walked out to the campsite. It's Andrew Miller. It's gorgeous um, coastal campground in Big Sur. And I looked around the campground and everyone had surfboards and like wetsuits drying on the oak trees around their tents. And I was like, what's going on? Walked out to the ocean and boom, there was this beautiful point break wave. And despite all my hours of research, reading everything I could about the campground, no one had mentioned surfing. And I love to surf. I'd actually taken my board out of my car to drive down to this campsite. And so still a good trip, but um, just had this moment of like, wow, you know, I tried so hard and still really failed to learn what would have mattered most to me about this, this particular site. So really the next day driving home had this moment of That was a very broken experience. It deserves a fix. Like maybe that's my problem to fix. How did Owen enjoy it? We had a great trip. Owen had a great time. He, he still lives in California. So mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you know, it was still a great trip, but again, it was just that feeling of like kind of feeling a little left out, you know, how did everyone else know this was like the cool thing to do here and where was my memo? So that epiphany was on the way home. Did yep. you know kind of what, how long was that process of making that really starting to formulate that idea into like w- what you eventually started pursuing? Yeah, in some ways very quick and in some ways really long. So um, I was actually unemployed, unemployed at the time I'd been fired. Uh, so I was like looking for something to do. Um, and I actually started a coding boot camp to learn how to program, um, partially with the goal of learning enough that I could build this camping website, which at the time had the very original name of California Camping. Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> I started the coding boot camp really within a month or two. So, like, pretty quickly started like making some steps and then actually launched a version of the site um, that summer. So, 10 years ago, we just celebrated our 10th birthday. So that, that happened fairly quickly, actually. But then I would say, you know, kind of getting to a business model that made sense. And for us, that really meant kind of solving the underlying problem, which was there aren't enough good places to camp and learning how to solve that, which we achieve mostly by reaching out to landowners and 
supporting them in the journey of creating new places for people to camp or RV on their land. Um, that took us a few years. That's a really interesting part I want to learn about is because public land, although that's where tons of camping, I'd say the majority of camping happens for, you know, through reservation systems like you were talking about before, uh, y'all realized that private land was this huge untapped potential. Um, what, what kind of led you to want to pursue that? Was it just frustration with like the private land platforms or just the, the limited access or the limited scope of how many spots are available? Like what were there stepping stones to that? Like maybe privately owned campgrounds before privately owned just blank land that wasn't being used for this kind of thing. Does that make sense? Totally. Good good question. You just basically outlined a few years of my life. So <laughs> um, <laughs> we started by focusing totally on public land. Um, and the idea there was like, can I just put all the campgrounds, even if they're, because, you know, at the time, there was no single app or website where I could even just see state parks next to national parks. Those were two different websites. Mm-hmm. And so the original idea was just let's put these all on one map, let's let people add reviews, and let's let's see how that goes. And then a couple of things came together at the same time that made us really interested and motivated to kind of find different places people might want to camp. Um, the first was we just kept getting user feedback that public land was overcrowded. And so it wasn't actually that helpful to have a better tool for discovering public land um, because Everything was booked and people still couldn't get a reservation. I remember getting like hate mail. I'd find a campground that actually had availability and I'd like put it in an email or a homepage and people would write back and be like, don't talk about that one, please. And I'd be like, oh, this is this is tough. Um, So that was kind of this ongoing feedback. And then the second thing that happened was we've been really advocating for and still are big advocates for open data for our public lands. And although we'd made some huge progress in a coalition called Access Land to actually get the federal government and the state of California to you know, protect um, the public's access to this open data, the company that had the contracts at the time, doesn't have them anymore, but had them at the time, Reserve America, used that as a moment to actually further restrict our access to data on public lands, which sounds backwards, but their stance was now that the contract required it, it was clearly not required today that just really took a lot away from the product. So we did reach out to private campgrounds first and got pretty immediate feedback that they were all booked up as well. And so, you know, it was kind of this like, well, where else, where else could people camp? And and the answer, the only answer that made sense was somewhere new. Um, and that was on private land. And that's not even like, well, you know, that's, private land, you know, we will if we have to, but public is, you know, the way to go. I mean, private land's by far the majority of the land in the U.S. And for certain states, that's all. That's where the wilderness is. And that's where the outdoors is. Like a state like Texas, that's what, 95% private land. How do you even break into a market with hip camp unless it is through something like that, you know, because the public land is, is so limited or even states like Connecticut that are mostly private land. Um, yeah. I'm sure y'all saw that problem right away with some pretty big markets. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that, you know, I grew up in California going mostly to our state and national parks here. And so I just which are incredible, which are amazing. And and by the way, we do absolutely view public land as the, you know, the backbone here that we're just extending and building on top of and really supporting. Um, and so, you know, I, I wish there was a future where I could imagine us you know, doubling or tripling the amount of public land we have today, but I don't think that's going to happen. And so I think private land can serve a really important role in getting more people outside with the added benefit of when we camp on these private lands, we're creating an economic incentive and and in many ways a financial support for these landowners to keep that land natural and protected and not, you know, bulldoze it and pave it and develop it and mine log which what have you. So I think that is kind of the other big element of this that I didn't really understand until we started doing it. So that's something I'm personally really passionate about. And I was actually messaging a a friend of mine who's a pretty big landowner here in Florida, has some uh, about a half a dozen ranches, big ranches. And I was saying, hey, have you ever heard of Hip Camp? Because he's always looking for revenue streams for ranches and to make ranching, um, 
and working lands more revenue so that people, like you said, keep prevent them from turning them into, you know, a parking lot for Walmart or something um, or a strip mall. He was immediately had 20 questions for me. This was literally right before we got on the phone. And so I told him that I'd ask you a lot of those questions. <laughs> and so he's like, so he's like, how, how does this work? You know, he wants to know because he's always looking for those ways to to not be forced through property taxes. I heard you say before, oh, there's a lot of people out there who are land rich but cash poor because having tons of land doesn't always mean that you're doing well financially. That land costs money to keep. Um, how do I make money with this land? It's not always that easy. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, definitely give your friend my number. We'd love to talk. Um, Florida is actually one of the markets where we are most supply constrained. So we're like most actively looking for new places for people to camp. People love Florida. They want to camp there. There's not enough good, good places to go. Um, and absolutely, you know, I think the cost of land management, um, especially in a, you know, globalized economy in a world with a, you know, changing climate has just gotten harder and harder. And those costs keep going up and up. And in general, you know, rural wages have not kept pace with that. And so there is a real gap here. One of the biggest things I've learned over the years is that, you know, the difference between a conservationist who you might see featured in like a Patagonia document documentary and, you know, just a normal quote unquote landowner is normally just money. Like the reality is almost everyone I've met who spends a lot of time on the land has a deep desire to protect it, to leave it better than they found it, to have clean soil, clean water, clean air. Like everybody seems to agree on these things. It's not really that controversial. And so I think creating these economic incentives for people to take good care of the land and, and keep it open and steward it so that people can enjoy it and recreate on it, which has enormous health benefits, but also so that our wildlife can keep, you know, surviving and hopefully in the future thriving. I mean, we've lost about 70% of our wildlife um, since 1970. So we're kind of at a moment where we need to decide what matters to us as a culture. And I want to live in a world with frogs and butterflies. And I think we're going to have to keep a lot more land open and, and protected and in good health to do that. Why does camping help solve that problem? Why does hip camp solve that problem? It's really economics at the end of the day. There's actually an amazing quote from Aldo Leopold, who's one of the greatest conservationists of the last century. He said, the future of conservation depends on the economic incentives we create for private landowners. Because while public land is amazing, it's not enough. We need more. And I see a lot of people playing defense around protecting our public lands, and we should do that. It's sad we have to do that, but we should. The next level is saying, what's offense? How do we create more places for people to play and more places for wildlife to you know, thrive? And so what camping does is really creates this economic incentive and this financial model that has you know, an option for people like your friend instead of shaving off you know, 1,000 acres here for a big new development of second homes or or condos or something, it's like, hey, why don't you just open up that land for camping? And, you know, maybe it won't be as much money all at once, but it's an ongoing sustainable revenue stream um, that will basically reward you for keeping your land beautiful. <laughs> Has Hip Camp lost locations, um, landowners that like, like great locations or classic places or places that were quickly, you know, becoming a high demand place to camp. Have you, have you lost those to development? Have you seen that firsthand? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. That's a good question. We don't, we don't collect the best data on that. We know that sometimes people do, you know, sell their land. And I think in most cases, especially if there's an established hip camp business on it, we've actually normally seen people buying it, wanting to keep the camping going because it kind of creates, again, this nice financial um, incentive for them. We've definitely heard the flip side. So actually one of the most like powerful moments for me early on with this whole, this whole new business model was meeting a rancher who was, you know, doing really well on the platform. And I drove up to meet her and got out of my car and she was walking over to me with this big you know, piece of paper in her hand, which I assumed was a list of problems with the website or something. And it was actually a letter from a land developer. And it said, you know, hey, we've identified your parcel. It could be worth millions of dollars, like give us a call. And she said, I hate this letter. I get them all the time. 
And if I'm the one that calls, if I'm the one who sells, you know, half my land, all my land, I will have failed on my life's mission, which is to leave this land better than I found it. But sometimes I'm afraid I might have to call because, you know, we don't, we still got a mortgage. We don't know how we're going to make it every month. And I'm giving this to you because hip camp makes it junk mail. Now we know we don't have to open them anymore. And like, that's the power of, of this business for us. That is amazing. And, and you know, this is a unique episode because I'm so personally attached to this kind of issue. Um, and the rancher, that's my friend, tens of thousands of acres here in Florida, uh, are under wow. their management and ownership. You know, they do everything from honey to sod to, to harvesting cabbage palms, which is a heart of palm. If you ever had that in a restaurant, it's like a delicacy here. And, um, yeah. and, and just all these little things that you just kind of, all those pieces come together to basically hold back developers. But he has told me time and time again, he goes, if I ever want to just stop fighting this fight, all I have to do is reach into my desk at the stack of business cards of developers, <laughs> the stack and call any of them I want. He goes, that's yeah. how easy it is to yeah. give up. He goes, and, and I've always asked, why do people keep fighting legacy? Legacy and a sense of ownership and a sense of responsibility that this land shouldn't become those things. Yep. So y'all are really doing something amazing. Do you have any stories about people who, I want to hear a story from both sides of the equation, like people who have used Hip Camp to create a new revenue stream, create a new you know channel for them to continue to use their land they, they want to, and also um, someone who's been really moved by an experience with Hip Camp. So, so many. Um, yeah, I'll tell a couple. I really, especially having now, I think the stories from children really, you know, move me because... Um, you know, a lot of people have anxiety about where the world is headed. I'm a huge optimist. So I'm like, we've got this, you know, but it really is going to come down to, you know, the people who are kids today and like, you know, what world they want to live in. What are the values they have? Like, what are they going to care about? And that's really our future. So I love hearing stories about kids who you know, really are, are touched by the outdoors. And one of my favorites I heard just recently was a little kid from somewhere in LA and he went out to Joshua Tree to stay with um, a wonderful host we have out there who actually had recently participated in a, a land stewardship program we ran where she got to meet with a scientist who taught her about the different biodiversity on her land. And she learned how to identify uh, the gender of a desert tortoise, which is a really cool endangered or at least threatened species that 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 is in that area and anyway this kid came out and they got to see a, a tortoise together she got to help show him he got to see the stars he was like apparently she was telling me he just like couldn't stop talking about the stars forever and and she heard him the morning after and, and he said dad is this a dream like is this a real place because it was just so different from everything he'd experienced up until that moment and I think creating moments like that for our kids is so important. It changes, you know, who they want to be when they grow up, what they care about. Um, so, yeah, I, I love stories like that. Another one that's really kind of a powerful trend we hear about pr pretty often is, you know, we're, we're generally, not always, but generally we're connecting people who live in urban areas um, with people who live in rural areas. And that often can involve, you know, these boundaries in our society that don't always get crossed, be they political or socioeconomic or cultural. and Another very fun story I heard, this was from the children or from a host who has children, they're farmers um, somewhere in New York, upstate New York. And she said her kids have always been embarrassed to be farmers, um, which is so crazy to me because to me, farmers and ranchers, like those are our heroes, you know, they're yeah. the ones making yeah. this happen. And I guess like wherever they live, it's gotten, you know, a lot more expensive lately. Lots of people moving out of the city and they're the kids who come to school with dirt under their fingernails and they've always felt a little whatever about that. And she said, since starting to host on hip camp and having other kids come to the land whose parents have decided they want to go, you know, stay there and have a great time, her kids have developed a real sense of pride in what they do because they get to see kids come and be like, oh my gosh, you know how to like take care of chickens and get eggs from chickens. And oh my gosh, you guys actually like grow food. Like it's not just in our grocery store. It's like, it comes from the earth and you know how to take care of it and like create that for us. And so she said that, because I, I, I always ask when I talk to hosts, you know, what's your favorite part of hosting? And she's like, 
seeing my kids go from being embarrassed to be farmers to proud of what we do. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's cool. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. You know, that is one of those things that you do think might be embarrassing, but you look back on it and think, I'm so grateful for that experience. And wow, the work y'all are doing is amazing. The pandemic brought on so many unexpected challenges. I think, you know, if you thought pre-pandemic, like, okay, what would a worldwide pandemic do to this industry or this industry or this industry? And I think there was tons of surprises, like just a lot of things that didn't didn't seem logical prior that looking back, it's like, okay, that's interesting how that played out in that way or what, you know, things were, what shortages there were and what, what setbacks there were and what industries thrived even, or for a short term burnout really quick. What, how did, what did hip camp, what was that like to go through all that? I would say we're still going through it. Right. I think these last few years have been one of our investors, um, said these last years have been the most transformative time to American culture since World War II, um, just in terms of changes in consumer behavior and patterns. Like everything just changed really fast. Um, and so for us, what that looked like is, you know, well, very early on in the pandemic, everyone canceled all their bookings and it was terrible. And we were wondering, you know, how to figuring out how to survive for a little while. And then the pendulum swing to the other side and everybody wanted to go camping because you know, in general, it was something you could go drive to do and um, something where you could, especially at a hip camp, you know, expect to have a, a very private experience. It's one of the main things people love about hip camps. By the way, 90% of hip camps are only on hip camp. These are lands that have been opened up through the platform. They often are quite large and spacious and come with uh, lots of room. And so I think that just really, especially in that moment, spoke to what people were we're looking for and so you know there was a tremendous amount of growth for the company I mean I think this year compared to um the years prior will be well you know last year we were about seven times more nights outside than just a couple years before so that kind of illustrates the like steepness of this of this curve that we've been on and, and in some ways that's amazing that opens up so much opportunity for the company in terms of you know, accessing capital and partners and, and it's great. And on the other hand, it's tough because you really want to be able to consistently, you know, match people with a really great experience. And we know there's not enough good campsites, both, you know, in the world and, and on hip camp. And so the big scramble for the past few years has been, wow, how do we find more people like your friend in time and, and uh, support them and opening up their land in a good way, because there's a lot more people than want to get outside than, than there are places to do so. I was actually just seeing from one of the recent KOA reports that over half the people who started camping in the last couple of years are going to stop camping or camp less because of overcrowding. Wow. You know, it's, I'll share a personal story. I don't do this very much, just so you know, like, I, but it's <laughs> just, I got to share because this is, this is what I've done with hip camp is I was paddling a river here in Florida a few months ago, probably six months ago now. And I remember seeing some hammocks hanging on the side of the, the, on the river. And I thought, what the heck? And there was a couple kids in it. And then I went around the bend and there was, it looked like a dad with like three little girls and they were all playing. And I'm like, what, where this? It just out of nowhere. I thought we were out in the woods and they were like, oh, it's a hip campsite. And I'm like, that's what we're doing. I said, holy cow, that's awesome. And I was like, well, be careful with gators. They weren't from around here. And I was like, gators are out here. But it was my friend and I in a canoe. And it wasn't that far from my house. And a few months later, I'm like, we got to go camping this weekend. We've almost got, you know, we've got two little ones. I, I'm, I'm going to set it up. It's going to be a lot. We're just going to tin camp. And I was looking at state parks, which in Florida, there are 175. There's a decent amount of state parks here. Wow, that's um, amazing. And there, we've won best state park system four years. It's a great system, but it's super popular. Yeah. So within 150 miles of my house, there wasn't a single campsite open on a random weeknight because I had the next day off. And I thought, that is impossible. And so I jumped on hit camp, and I knew exactly where that spot was, and I saw it was available, and I booked it that night, and we went. And it was awesome. If I didn't know that, you know what I mean? If I didn't have that yeah. in my back pocket, or if I didn't, like, now I know to look there first versus even the state park system. But that's exactly the point you were just illustrating. If I wouldn't have had that option that night, 
we wouldn't have gone camping. And that was probably the coolest thing we've done this year is that camping trip. And we, we, we wanted to stay for one night. We ended up going for three because that, that's oh how God. good it was. I love that story. Um, I also would love to paddle some rivers in Florida. That's my one of my favorite activities um, is river paddling. But yeah, oh, I mean, same. I love that story because, you know, one, our public lands are amazing. And by the way, over time, Hip Camp has goals to also really help you access all of your data about your public lands, too. We think that's really, really important. So we're uh, currently doing a pilot with California State Parks where you can see all your state parks on Hip Camp. And we also have um, all of the federal parks. So we're, we're working on that. Not working with Florida yet, but if someone from Florida State Parks is listening, we'd love to talk. We, you know, because it, it, it's the exact right question. Like, I want to camp. I can't believe on a weeknight everything's booked up. That's tough. But you don't want to drive more than 150 miles, especially if you have kids. Like, that's just, that can turn into yeah. torture real Absolutely. quick. And so, you know, our mission as a company is get more people outside. And our core metric, our core KPI as a company is nights outside. And so we really focus on that on that number because there are a lot of people like you and I've been there many times where if it wasn't for hip camp, you probably would have stayed home. And so to date, we've supported people spending um, just over seven million nights outside, which is really cool. And it's, it's really always an interesting question when I tell the team, you know, we don't know how many of those nights would have happened without all the work that we're doing. And the answer is probably a lot of them wouldn't have happened. When we look at the outdoor industry, you know, from a zoomed out perspective, we see just a massive opportunity to keep growing the pie because despite, you know, this real crisis around there not being enough places to camp, I just got the results actually from the Outdoor Industry Association. Camping was the fastest growing large category of outdoor recreation. It's averaged 23% year over year for the past couple of years, 12% this past year alone. And the only activity that's grown faster than it is snowshoeing. <laughs> and so it's like, even within this world where there's not enough places to go, it's still this thing that so many people are being called to do. I think a lot of it's just, you know, it's the more time you spend on Zoom, I think the more you want to go camping, we see a real cool correlation there. <laughs> so um, yeah, we got to build more places to get outside. Has being a mother the last two years changed the way you view how you operate hip camp or just maybe helped you identify gaps in what y'all do or at least new needs that maybe you weren't aware of before yeah it's changed almost everything because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard now i'm gonna admit we my wife and i camped a ton when before kids and now it's there there is a time where you're like okay it's like put that on pause for a little bit and, it, and it's a new system now it's a whole new system new system. That's what I was going to actually, my first answer would be when it comes to home, a lot of the kind of part of my brain I've always reserved for work, specifically designing systems, I now apply to home. <laughs> I'm like, okay, how do we get super high leverage and efficient with our time, even as it relates to like being packed and ready for a camping trip? Because you just have to. Um, and I still want to have a lifestyle with you know, travel and outdoors time and, and spontaneity is actually a huge, you know, value for, for our family as well. And so like, how do we kind of be ready to go? So we're actually looking at cool travel trailers right now because we want to have like all of our kitchen stuff, like packed at all times and bed, like packed at all times. Just so ready can, to go. Like, totally. That's the dream. So we're looking into some, some options there. And so, you know, it's definitely made us rethink a few things, but overall I would say having a kid has been um, more fun than I would have thought. And I was already very excited about it. So, you know, big, big uh, encouragement or, or, or good positive review. Do recommend to a friend. Um, and then in terms of work, you know, I would say it really actually at the end of the day has been a really positive influence for me. I think before having a kid, I spent a lot of time it was probably very low quality, low leverage. You know, those nights where you're like, oh my God, it's nine o'clock and I'm still on my computer just can't do that anymore. And so it kind of made me really lift the bar in terms of like, how am I spending my time? And if I can't solve a problem by just like continuing to bang my head against the wall at it, like, do I need to delegate this? Is the person working on this the right person? Um, is this even something we should do? Or should we just drop it and like focus on, on, on a smaller number of things? And so I'd say overall, it's been actually, I think helped me really 
grow into being a, a better CEO um, just because I can't like, solve problems with like spending another, you know, five hours at night on them. So that's been very, really tough. I would say like, don't want to gloss over all the like sleepless nights and just like tough, overwhelming moments of like, how are we going to do all this? But, you know, two years in now, I can say it's made me, made me stronger, you know? And has it changed the way you look at listings or like amenities or availabilities with what HipCamp offers to make it, yeah. I don't know, more parent friendly even? Totally. Yeah. So we're actually launching some new things this summer that are really going to be supportive for families. Um, we're using AI to like look at all of our review data and really start to understand like what are the best hip camps for families and how can we help people understand that and understand why. Um, and at least part of that is because, you know, my tolerance for adventure is very high. I define as adventure as like when things go the way you didn't expect them to and then... <laughs> Here we are. So I have a very high tolerance for that. But yeah, once you have a kid like that really changes because the stakes just get higher. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you can't find the entrance, it's not like fun and exciting. It's like kind of stressful <laughs> or it can be. So um, definitely, I think there are parts about how our product works that we are, you know, already knew was really important because we do tons of community feedback and research. But are now personally more important to me. So that's always helpful in getting things to the top of the list too. You know, running this company and, and turning, you know, a passion for the outdoors, like, you know, work, we kind of have this unofficial series of like founders of outdoor industry companies. We just had the founder of like Cotopaxi on. Uh, we've had tons of other brands over the years on that are, uh, you know, making a career. What advice would you give, I guess, to somebody who's pursuing maybe a passion within the outdoor industry? It could be gear, it could be a process like this, like with Hip Camp connecting people to the land. Um, and it hasn't changed the way your relationship with the activity itself. Um, and I'll say, I'll preface this with, I used to run a backpacking company and I almost never backpacked while running that company because it was yeah. just, you know, you're guiding, you're doing, you're doing the work so other people can go. Um, but you're missing out yourself. It was it was hard to balance. Yeah, it's such a good question. And and for me, hip camp is actually these two massive passions in my life coming together. One being for camping and nature and wildlife and the outdoors, and one being the internet. I actually like created a major about the internet in college. And so for me, hip camp was this amazing way to like combine these two great loves. Um, basically two opposites by the way yeah totally but in my mind like yin and yin and yang you know like they both need each other um badly so they're also very balancing i think um if if applied appropriately um and i would say yeah i mean if you are you know gosh someone said this to me so well recently like if you are fortunate enough to do work that is aligned with your passion like First of all, just really ground yourself in how privileged you are to get to work on something you love because so many people don't. And so if you're one of those lucky ones that's able to align your, you know, your your livelihood with your passion, like that's just such an awesome position to be in. And I, I always find like when things are challenging, that like gratitude is the such a such a solve for so much for me, at least. So I always try to come back to that. And then, you know, remembering why, like where that spark came from and like not losing that to your point, like if you're not going backpacking or camping, like if you find yourself losing that connection because you're too busy, you kind of got to call bullshit on yourself and say, well, hold on. <laughs> if I can't find time to do this thing anymore, am I really so convinced that like I'm, I'm building this company in the right way anymore? So I actually have a goal to go camping once a month. Sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't, but I try because it's just every single time I go camping, I'm like, wow, I love camping. I love what <laughs> I do. This is great. like, it doesn't get old. And then the other thing I would say is like, especially for people who are looking to start a business, like that passion is such an advantage. One, because it means you're less likely to give up, which most, most businesses fail because people just give up, right? They hit a moment that's a little too tough to, to show up again the next day. And so I think passion can carry you through. It also can drive you to burning out. So don't do that. Been there. Take care of your bodies. Take care of your relationships. Take care of your mind, all that. But it, but it is an advantage in that it's a huge source of, of fuel. And it's also a real advantage in that, you know, if you're passionate about this space, you're likely your own customer. 
And understanding the customer pain points that intimately and personally, I think is just one of the biggest advantages you can bring into any business as a founder. So, you know, it's a, it's a powerful place to be coming from if you, you know, learn how to manage yourself accordingly, accordingly. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Do you have a, uh, a hip camp location that really speaks to you? I know you might want to share the details of it because it might be your little secret, but do you have a favorite, a favorite child, I guess? So I have many favorite children and I'm big on sharing them because, you know, one of the big things with hip camp we want to encourage is creating more like of a feeling of abundance around these amazing outdoor spots because to your point the majority of land is private and very few people actually recreate on private land today and so i think a lot of the scarcity i see around public land and don't blow up my secret spot i'm like oh you guys there's so many more waterfalls <laughs> there are millions of waterfalls like let's just figure out how to go play in all the waterfalls versus you know start fighting each other over you know this particular one i think a lot of it's just you know, deep-seated tribe, tribalism maybe. But, um, you know, I think for me, gosh, so many favorites. I'll, I'll actually list the most recent hip camp I went to. Um, this is a ranch just um, outside Sacramento, very close to the city, maybe 45 minutes. It's called Kasumne's Ranch. It's over 4,000 acres. Um, and it's on either side of a river, the Kasumne's River. And mm -hmm. it is just gorgeous, you know, river beach camping, um, tons of land to roam on and explore. We actually learned how to gold pan from the ranch manager, Tom, who's incredible. And like we found gold in every pan because he knew what he was doing. So he teed us up for the win. Um, and your host is also um, an incredible um, adventure kayaker. And so they actually brought like a river rafting, a river raft to our campsite. It's something they offered to all campers. We got to pilot it, but it's something they offered to anybody. We got to raft like right off our campsite um, and, and go down the ranch and it was just like such an incredible trip and, and so much fun and, and, and freedom being on that big of a, a spot. That's awesome. Well, shout out to that ranch. I was just in that area, beautiful area, underrated in my opinion. Totally. Um, that's, that's incredible. Well, you know, I, I do want to ask a couple more questions and, and you mentioned something this, I love that sense of abundance sense of, Hey, there's so much more out here. Um, yes. National parks might be limited because there's, finite amount. There's a lot of people want to go there. They're heavily marketed. Um, how do you, what, what are your thoughts around that sense of uh, um, over loving the land, loving it to death? I see that phrase and that terminology used a lot. Like, are we just loving the outdoors to death? How, how, what's your kind of take on that? I think it's a really important conversation. I actually have a cousin who works hilariously full-time right now in monitoring the impacts of recreation and human activity on wildlife. <laughs> yeah, she's, we've, we have, we've definitely talked about it because like, it's pretty amazing. Like even just like some light hiking in an area does change how wildlife move um, at least. And that isn't always bad necessarily, right? Like our ecosystems at this point have been, you know, really transformed. We've seen examples of, you know, for example, in Yellowstone, bringing the wolves back definitely impacted how the deer moved, but in a really good way that meant the river stayed, you know, less muddy and then the, the, the fish could, could breed again. And so there's like all these kind of like really complex webs going on. So it's, it's hard to like say for sure, but without a doubt, you know, over usage can have a negative impact on, you know, the health of the ecosystem, the wildlife the natural resources, and also just other people <laughs> who are also looking to like get outside. Like no one likes that feeling of being crammed into a tiny little spot or waiting in line to get on a trail. Like that's not really what you were probably looking for. So I think, you know, our, our land managers today, be they public or private have a real tough challenge. And um, I think science is important. And I think land management is a art form <laughs> of balancing so many different sources of data and, demands and you know it, it, there's not like one answer but I think for each different location having really thoughtful people who are paying attention to the data and creating good policies is super important to make sure these places will be 
here for a long time. Last question, and we can wrap up. Is is you know what what does the future bring for Hip Camp? What are some of those dream scenarios that you say that that's where we want to get to? That's the things we want to offer. That's the kind of influence we want to have. That's that's where I want it. I want Hip Camp to be. Fun question. Um, you know, well, so many directions we could go. I'll tell you a specific story though. So I have a, a specific story in my head that I'll, when I know we have like really achieved what I want us to achieve is when I get to sit down with, you know, the ministry, the minister of forestry or something in um, some country and explain with data why clear cutting their rainforest seems like a good idea right now, but in the long term, it's not not the good idea for their people it's not the good idea for their future of tourism it's not a good idea for their you know land and water and agriculture and really be able to show um not just you know uh with hope but with real stories and data how you know recreation is not just an incredibly powerful you know thing to offer your your community and your people but also this incredibly powerful economic engine to build a healthy economy and protect your land so when we can sit down with, you know, a government and change their plans away from clear cutting towards a really sustainable, more recreation and agricultural based approach to the world, um, I will feel like we're doing what we're supposed to do. And, you know, between now and then, I think we're, we're really excited to just keep making the core experience better. We've got a long way to go. We know that we're, we're doing a lot of things well, but we got a lot of things to do better. Um, and so continuing to make sure we're offering a great experience for our hip campers and for our hosts is something that we're spending almost all of our time on right now. And as we start to feel more confident there, we'll, we'll keep expanding. And this is something we see people doing all around the world. Um, and so really building a global community of people who want to, you know, hip camp and, and, and explore and travel the world is something that we're excited to build to over the coming years as well. What I'm sensing is is it's about so much more than than camping. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny because it's like it is and it isn't. Like it yeah. is, it's so much more than camping. I mean, I remember building this thing for the team at one point where I showed like almost an onion that was like, "Why I want to do this?" And like the core is just because when I go camping, I feel good, and I want more people to feel that same way. You feel right? good. You're connected to the land. You. You're re-inspired. You're you you're ready to take on the world. You know exactly, exactly. And so, in some ways, you're like, okay, well, that's just the beginning. And then there's all these other impacts around protecting the land and supporting real economies. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. But like at the end of the day, is there really something we could say is like more powerful than people feeling reconnected with themselves and their relationships? And like, isn't that kind of where it all starts anyway? So it's about so much more than camping, but it's also it's just camping. And I think that's really the the beauty and the focus of what we get to do. It's just sleeping on the ground outside. Like it's not yeah, totally just <laughs> nature. So that is awesome. This is not what I expected in a great way and like the best way possible. <laughs> um, I didn't realize this was such at the forefront of, of, of the mission is the conservation of land and like that, that the philosophy, it's like, that's exactly what we're going through here in Florida moved back here three years ago, born and raised here from Colorado. And it was just like, it is completely the front lines of conservation effort. Um, Absolutely. The front lines. And one of the biggest issues with these massive swaths of land turning into development is I just couldn't make money. Like, I don't know how. I didn't want to. And, And you see these landowners walk away with a massive check and they're depressed. And it's like, how do we prevent that? And so there's tons of effort going on to, to stop that and it's it's been really interesting to be a part of really interesting yeah but i think it is figuring out a lot right now do you know um have you interviewed carlton ward yet haven't had him on the show but i just had his he just released a film path of the panther i had the director eric from montana eric was on the show just like a week ago perfect okay i was gonna say if you're not i, I figured you probably already knew them we are connected yeah Want the chance to know Carlton a bit and just he's really kind of blown my mind a bit about everything that's been able to happen in Florida with the funding for, you know, the Panther and it's super cool. So 
Well, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, ranchers are like, I don't want a panther on my land. It's going to kill my calves or, you know, hunt my livestock. Now, ranchers are like, how do I get that panther on my land? Because that means funding. Yes, I might lose a calf or two, but like this, we need that panther here. And that panther's already using that land. So it has been, you want to talk about like the, the amount of focus there is, like billions of dollars pouring into preserving this land. And it's one it's of the, so I think it's the only megafauna in the entire continent whose land and area is actually expanding. Habitat's expanding, totally. I was just, do you, do you know the Y2Y people, Yellowstone to Yukon? No, is that another corridor? Yeah, so there it's, um, I think it'll be, I think it's the biggest one we've been working on. Um, I say we as like humans, not me <laughs> personally, although we're we're partnering and contributing, but they're connecting Yellowstone to Yukon. Um, and so if you ever want to talk to someone there, they're 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 amazing. And and the thing they said that kind of blew my mind is, you know, we've never actually done ranching in the presence of major predators. When we first started ranching most of the US, we'd actually wiped out almost all of the predators. And so it's not like we just need to go back to how we did it. We actually need to like move forward and innovate and develop new systems, be they economic or, you know, more like policy. Like they have some process things they recommend to ranchers. They're dealing more with uh, grizzlies up there. Yeah. Um, And so it's really interesting to think about, like, we really, you know, I think we we need to look at ranchers and and farmers as our heroes because, (laughs) you know, without them, what are we going to do? I'll eat food that grows in a vat somewhere. Like, I don't want to do that. So um, how do we kind of meld that with our conservation goals instead of right now, as you know, right, they're so often framed as like opponents. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.